Hello and welcome to St Tom's Online. Please find this week's sermon. The reading this week is taken from Psalm 51 verses 1 to 12 from the New Living Translation. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin, for I recognise my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned, I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Thank you, Jesus. Well, good morning. My name is Bruce, in case you don't know that already. Uh, And this is the sermon for Sunday, the 1st of August, 2021. I'm going to share, uh, attempt to share my screen with you, if you bear with me, as I'm a little bit, uh, trying to be a little bit techy here. There we go. Let's move myself up here. So, Psalm 51 My sermon is called Scandal, Anyone? Now, each of us is intrigued by a little bit of scandal occasionally, aren't we? Be it perhaps the scandal of politicians, the scandal of how much footballers are paid or maybe overpaid, or indeed the alleged scandal of two royal brothers who allegedly have fallen out, or the alleged rape by a king of the, the, the wife of an army's official, which is the background of our psalm today. Psalm 51, verses 1 to 12, beautifully read by Eve. Thank you very much, Eve. Now, some might say, why have you chosen this? Couldn't you find a a more um, interesting, a more savoury, or less savoury passage. I hear you cry. Well, I could, but I've chosen this for perhaps three reasons, and there they are. Firstly, I'm attempting to, uh, as it were, redress an imbalance as I see it. As Frederico Villanueva uh Uh, in an article in 2017 called It's Okay 
to be not okay. He says this, and we have successfully, for the most part, deleted lament and negativity from church life. There is no room, it would seem, for struggling or mourning or weeping or questioning God or crying. No, no room for failure, calamities or feeling down. We may give the impression that God may only be worshipped by happy souls. Well, this psalm is not about a happy soul. To be frank with you, it's an unhappy soul. And for the, in an attempt rather to be honest, more real about how we feel, I think it's important to embrace and to look at such psalms. The second reason for choosing this psalm is I'd like to face a challenge, even in my great age. Someone has said, one commentator, uh, that this psalm is not one to be read lightly and certainly not one to be preached on lightly. And thirdly, I want to preach on this psalm because ultimately it points us to the enormous grace and abundant love that God has for each of us. So what is a scandal? It can be defined as an action or event regarded as morally and legally wrong and causing general public outrage. And this is unquestionably what has happened in this story. The story itself is found in one, rather two Samuel chapter 11, where we read of King David, um, who has at least uh, committed uh, adultery. There he is. Uh, then he uh, arranges for uh, Bathsheba, his husband, Uriah, the Hittite, to be murdered. And then we see in chapter 13, he is being challenged by the prophet Nathan. That's how the prophets did in those days, by pointing at you. Maybe not. And finally, we know that David confesses his guilt. And Psalm 51, as it were, is an outpouring of his heart following his confession. Now, David begins by asking God to have mercy on him. He knows he's messed up big time. And he is appealing the only place where forgiveness and restitution can be found in God. Have mercy on me, he cries, because of your unfailing love. Not because I'm the king and I need a break or because this will ruin my reputation. He says, have mercy on me because of your unfailing love. The other word David uses to appeal to God is translated abundant mercy or great compassion. Now, apparently, the Hebrew word used uh, here is Raham, not Rahim. He's the uh, man city in England striker, but Raham, which is rooted in Rahem, meaning womb. David is calling on God's womb love, the overflowing, eternally connected love that a mother has for a child. 
This is a good chance for me to show you our latest grandson, our latest child in our family. He's called Jesse, and the rather tenuous link with uh, David's story is that Jesse, of course, is David's dad. And the other uh, tenuous link is uh, of womb. Jesse is two weeks old today. There's Gramps attempting to hold him. Back to David. David is asking for the stain of his sin to be gone. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. He wants his sin to be absorbed, taken away, cancelled out, forgiven. This is meant to represent an ink blot on a linen cloth. A poor representation, I'm sorry. Um, what we have here is an illustration, perhaps, of how we can be forgiven, how our sins, our blots of ink, can be washed away. God does that through the cross of Jesus. Now, it might be helpful at this point to make a distinction between shame and guilt. I'm going to come out from sharing. There we go. I'm also going to put the light on because it's got incredibly dark. There. Sorry about that. There's a halo now. Right. So, shame. And guilt. Guilt says, I made a mistake. Shame says, I am a mistake. Now, David here in the psalm is definitely admitting his guilt. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. And who hasn't felt that when something that we've done has made us feel so awful? It literally can make us feel um, nauseous, perhaps prevent us from sleeping. I have done what is evil in your sight, says David. But in verses five and six, he says, maybe he's verging on shame. He's virtually saying that he is a mistake. I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment I was conceived. However, none of us is a mistake. None of us needs to hang our head in shame because of our failings. We all fail. We all make mistakes. But it's important to make that distinction between making mistakes and being a mistake. Shame is the intense feeling or belief that we are flawed and are therefore not worthy of being loved or of belonging. Brené Brown puts it like this, shame corrodes the very part of us that, ooh, start with it again, shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we are capable of change. It makes us believe there's no point in even trying change or to improve ourselves and if this is shrouded in secrecy and 
Silence and judgment is made even worse. She, she suggests instead to talk to yourself as you would someone you dearly love. Shame cannot survive being spoken to in that way. So we give thanks to God that we can be free from the feelings of guilt and shame. We read in, in Romans 8, verse 1, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And in John 3, for God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It has always been God's heart to save, bring deliverance, to rescue us from ourselves and from our poor choices. I'd like to look briefly at the story of the woman caught in adultery, another scandal. She was guilty and the only thing that was left is what to do with her guilt. As on the side, it's rather interesting to see in this story that the other guilty party, the bloke, doesn't get mentioned in all this at all. Hmm. Whilst Jesus then is teaching at the temple, he's interrupted by the commotion uh, of those bringing the woman in and plonking her in front of the crowd. What shame. The crowd knew that she should be stoned to death. But Jesus is found drawing in the dirt, maybe to distract them, the crowd, from the woman. He goes to her and says those amazing words. Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. The crowd gradually dispersed and Jesus asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. There is therefore no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. So I, so I wonder, imagine with me that we're in church. Yes, I know it seems a, a while ago that we could do this, so let's hope we can soon. We're in church and someone comes in looking a bit shabby, a bit dodgy, slightly odd, perhaps a bit smelly, quite questionable. And what's our reaction to this person? Are we going to reject them because they mm, smell a bit, they, they, might, they don't fit in there and they might even upset our nice church. We might feel like picking up metaphoric stones to chuck at them. Or do we say instead, welcome, you're ever so welcome to our church. We will not condemn or reject you. We want you in our church. Welcome. This is grace. This is what King David is experiencing in Psalm 51, the scandal of grace. How come 
God treats him in this way. Seems almost unfair. David is a desperate man. Maybe we feel desperate at times. God is going to welcome us. He does welcome us, will never abandon us, no matter what our shame and what our guilt keeps telling us. God not only heals us from the stain of our sin, but also the lie of our worthlessness. So David confesses. I want to suggest that confession is is jolly good for the soul for three reasons. One, because in confessing, we can experience the awesome gift of God's forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins, 1 John 1, 9. Secondly, as we confess, we experience restoration, restoring our emotional and physical energy. Interesting, in Psalm 31, verse 10, we read, my strength failed because of my guilt. In confessing and handing over to God those things which we've done wrong, we are renewed in our energy. And thirdly, it's, it's good to confess because it helps us to move on. When we draw a line between our sin and our wanting to move on, it kind of helps us, prevents us from slipping back to old ways. So when we come to God, we experience his welcome. We uh, know that we are not going to be rejected. We're going to in, instead experience grace and love and acceptance. This then is for us the scandal of love. It doesn't seem fair almost that we receive all this from God, but we can and we do. Let us embrace the scandal of his love. Scandal? Anyone? Amen.